0: This week I, I, had a, I had a sermon prepared and I had the notes already and I was going to put that in your bulletin for you and, and everything like that. And then last night I was driving home and, uh, and the Lord just really started to deal with me about uh, a particular subject and topic and so about 9 o'clock last night I started writing some things down and I wasn't sure if I was going to preach it or not yet but I just couldn't get away from it and so this morning I've got something completely different um, so I don't have any notes for you but... But I got Richard back there. Somebody give Richard a hand clap back there. He's, a, he, he's been with me for a while, honestly. And, I could, and a lot, I'm telling you, I couldn't preach without him nowadays. I got to, I got to have him by my side. Uh, but he does, he does a good job back there, so, so he's going to be throwing verses up here for us. And listen, also, if you want to get involved uh, with the media team, Richard could use a little help. He would like to be uh, down from that place on occasion and worship. So if, if, if that's your kind of thing, you like to work with computers and stuff like that, maybe let us know, and we'll, we'll see about getting you involved in that. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, so here's, here's one of the things. Now, that, what, what I'm going to talk about this morning is, is a difficult subject to talk about and let me preface it with this I'm 30 years old my brain is falling and I went to Clay County High School so that means that that really I don't I don't have all the answers to things right and so when I step out into into talking about certain subjects the only thing I can know to do is really try to go to the Bible and reveal what I believe God is saying to us and what he needs us to hear now here's here's one of the questions that I want to work with I want to, I want to deal with with where is God in suffering? Where is God in hurricanes? Where is God when we see people die and terrible tragedies tragedies happen and catastrophes happen? So it's cut out for me, amen? That's a difficult subject to discuss. So this morning, if you would, I want you to pray with me, and I want you to pray that God would speak to you, that God would speak through me, And I believe that he can use this message to actually bring about transformation in people's lives because I believe what he'll do is he'll reveal Jesus to us and it'll change the way we see everything. So let's pray for that this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you so much for your goodness and we just confess our deep dependence upon you because we know, Lord, that we know very little, God. There's so much to us that is a mystery that we can't figure out, that we cannot grasp or understand completely, but I believe, Father, with all my heart, that You have given us a message in Jesus Christ, that You have given us Your Word to live by. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, God, that You would speak through me, Holy Spirit, that You would bring things to my remembrance and to my mind that need to be spoken, and that those words would speak directly to the people, God, that are listening this morning, so that, God, at the end of this, we see Jesus... And, Lord, we know your will for our lives and for this world, even though sometimes we don't understand it and even though sometimes we suffer pain and and all sorts of different terrible things. But, God, we know that you are good in all of it. And we just thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, Lord. So open our hearts, and God, let us hear what you're having to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So listen, over the past... Uh, several weeks for me, specifically, I, I've dealt with a lot of different things, uh, n- not firsthand but secondhand, in in discussing issues with people. Just uh, you know, just a, a few weeks ago when we went to Bridge Street, I sat down and talked with a guy for about an hour about the Lord, and he asked some of the best questions. And 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 not only that, but e- every week I'm I'm counseling with people who are drug addicts, and and most of these people that I counsel with, they're women. And and I tell you, 98% of them that I speak with, they've been raped, they've been molested when they were young, and their view of God is usually a view of God that's somewhat like their father who abused them. And when you begin to speak to them about God, they say, well, where was God at when this was happening to me? Where was God at in all of this? And, and people ask questions like that. They, they wonder, why does God let things happen like this? And even right now, as we speak, we've seen Hurricane Harvey. We've seen different things going on in our world. There are tornadoes that happen all the time. In years past, there's been tsunamis that have hit, uh, that, that hit in Asia recently, not long ago, a few years back, and, and, and hundreds of thousands of people were killed. And people say, well, where is God at in, in hurricanes and in earthquakes? Does God cause hurricanes? Does God cause earthquakes? And if God is really in control of everything, then why is the world in such a mess? Anybody ever dealt with these questions? A few of you have. If God is really in control, why is this world in such a mess, mess? And if everything is going to happen anyway, this is one I hear a lot. People say, if everything is going to happen anyway and there's nothing that I can do to change what's going to happen, then why should I even pray or seek for something different to happen? I've heard people say that several times. How come God lets children get sick and die? Another one, people say this, I've even seen memes on Facebook recently with the hurricanes and stuff like that, is, is, how, is, is God bringing judgment with natural disasters, and is God responsible for hurricanes and tornadoes hitting these places, and is He bringing judgment on America, right, and things like that? You guys ever question this stuff, or is it just me? Amen. Praise God, I'm glad I'm not alone. And here's the truth is that in our world, we've got to have... Now, I'll say this, just like I said before. We're not going to have all of the answers just yet because we have finite minds and God exists outside of time and eternity, but God has spoken to His people, amen? And He wants to speak to His people. And I believe that the devil is fighting as hard as he can to to, to cause us to have misconceptions about all of these questions so that ultimately people blame God and are driven away from God and live in despair and hopelessness and brokenness. And listen, many people, including Christians, they have different beliefs and they have different answers for all of these questions that I just asked. And I would say that the majority of them are probably wrong. Now, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm only saying that I'm going to offer you what I believe God has spoken to me in my dealings with this particular subject and I'm going to use the Scripture to bring that out. Now, here's what I believe, even about Scripture specifically, is that when we, when we look to answer any kind of question in life that we're dealing with, one, we have to go to the Bible, but even more importantly than going to the Bible, we have to go to Jesus directly. That's, that's going to be a difficult one for us to handle because sometimes we say, well, you just need to go to the Bible. Yeah, you need to go to the Bible, but you know what? I can read the Bible and come up with all sorts of different stuff. I need to go to Jesus directly. I'll tell you why. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Listen to what this verse says. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He's saying, look, in times past, God spoke to people through the prophets in the Old Testament. And God spoke to them that way. Next verse says, has in these last days, in the days that we're living in, He has spoken to us by His Son. Right? He's no longer speaking to us through the Old Testament prophets, even though there is a message still there for us. But today He's speaking to us by His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. The next verse says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, He is the express image of the person of God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. That's what He's saying. So oftentimes when we get an idea of God, we think about this big white dude on a cloud that's faceless and nameless and he looks a lot like Zeus and he's trying to smite everybody with thunderbolts up in heaven. That is not the image of God. The image of God is Jesus. The Scripture says in Colossians 1.15, it says, Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. That he is the icon of the invisible God. Now what's so awesome about this to me is when God was speaking to his people in under the old covenant, you know what the second commandment was that he gave to his people? He said, You shall make no graven images. Why did he say you shall make no graven images? Because he knew that if we, in our small revelation of God, tried to make an image of what God was like and tried to say this is what God looks like, this is what God is like, he knew that we would get it wrong. He knew we would end up making a God that was violent like us, that was angry like us, that was lustful like us, that cared more about material things and possessions like us. And ultimately, we would make an image that wasn't God at all. It would be ourselves that we made an image of. So he says that. And so God, He loves us so much, He says, don't you make any graven images. But then all of a sudden, He sends His own image. He says, I don't want you guys making an image, so here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to send my image to you. And he sends his image to us in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians verse 4-6, through six, it says, God, who commanded light to shine in the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, what? In the face of Jesus Christ. So anytime anybody starts to talk to you about God or what God is like or what God is doing in this situation, let's just settle it this way that whenever you want to know what God is doing and what God is like in any situation in your life, you need to look to Jesus. Amen? What does Jesus look like in this situation? Because He is the full revelation of God. Jesus even said this in John 5, 39. He said, you search the Scriptures. He is speaking to religious people who know the Old Testament so well that they have actually memorized the first five books of the Bible by heart. They could quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to you verse by verse without fail. That's how well they knew the Old Testament, Moses, the Law, and the Prophets. They knew it, and He said to them, You search for the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me." What he's saying then to all of us is that, listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. There are some people today that say, well, the Old Testament, you know, that's not good anymore. We don't use the Old Testament. That's a lie, okay? Okay. The entire Bible from front to back is inspired by God. God breathed. Yes, there are some things in there that if you read, you will not understand them. When I talked to this guy, he actually said, well, man, I read in there the other day where it said that if a brother dies, well, his brother's got to marry his wife and raise up children to him. You believe in that foolishness? And I I said to him, well, I actually preached a message on that the other day. But what I preached the message in was in light and through the lens of Jesus. God is no longer saying that that is what we need to live by. He's saying all the Old Testament was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to Jesus. It was, trying, it was trying to point us to the fact that, look, yeah, you're only seeing God in part now, but the prophets were saying there's something coming. There's a new covenant coming. The Messiah is coming. And so when we read the Old Testament, we must read it through the lens of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen. All right, just making sure you understand that. Because a lot of people will go to the Old Testament and just read verses and say, well, that's just, that's just what we got to live by. I can find some crazy stuff for you in the Old Testament. And if you live by it, it's going to hurt you and your family and everybody else. Doesn't mean the Old Testament's bad. It just means that we have to read it and interpret it correctly. And that is through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus says this. And even think about this. Jesus one time took Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain. And the Bible says that he was standing there and he was transfigured before their eyes. So what looked like just a normal man, it would be like you all sitting there right now. And all of a sudden, from the inside out, light just began to shine and radiate out of me. And I would be glorified. Now, I'm not like that yet, right? But Jesus is the glory of God. And He was saying, what was hidden from you all of a sudden was revealed to them in a moment of time. They saw Him glorified and they saw Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Now Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. And and all of these Jewish men are looking at Jesus and they look at Elijah and the Moses and Peter said, boys, it's good we're here, Jesus. It's a real good thing we're here. Because now we can make some tabernacles for you all. And Jesus just pretty much ignored him. This big cloud showed up over him. It was the glory of God. And out of the cloud, they heard the voice of the Father say, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Now what was God saying? God was saying up until now you've listened to the law you've listened to Moses and you've listened to the prophets but the law and the prophets were pointing to Jesus and now you're no longer listening to them you are listening to the one that was sent in my image to reveal perfectly who I am because nobody until Jesus came had ever seen God. Moses had not seen God. Elijah had not seen God. They had seen him in part but they'd never seen him in his fullness and in that moment they saw Jesus in his fullness and they and he said, hear him. Hear Jesus. And when the cloud lifted, they looked and they saw no man except Jesus only. Now, if I'm going to interpret the Bible, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to interpret it through Jesus only. Y'all with me so far? All right. I have to lay this groundwork before I get into this. So God sends Jesus on a rescue mission, not just for humanity, but all creation. Why does he send Jesus on a rescue mission? Not just for humanity, but for all creation. The cosmos, the galaxy, right? Every single thing that God created, he sends Jesus on a rescue mission. Here's why. When God made, when he created all things, it was literally a sea of endless glory that was radiant with the beauty of God in every single part of it. It was innocent of all violence. There was no pain. There was no crying. There was no shame. There was no rejection. There was no abandonment. There was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no suffering. There was no dying. Have you ever woke up in the morning and looked outside at the trees and the the sun and just smelled the fresh air and said, man, this is glorious? See, that is a foretaste, a, a, a glimpse, a veiled image of what the earth was supposed to be like all the time. It was supposed to be beautiful. It was supposed to express God's glory. It was supposed to be perfect. And then when He created man, He created man in His image so that they would live constantly in His presence in perfect communion with Jesus. And get this, they would reflect the image of God in the earth and they were given dominion over this earth to steward the earth, to rule over the earth, and to have have dominion in the earth, that they would reign in this earth and that they would steward it in such a way that the earth would become a reflection of heaven. Now get that. God made man to be a reflection of God, and He made the earth to be a reflection of heaven. And as long as we stewarded it properly, it would be an ever-growing an increasing reflection of heaven just as we would be an ever-growing, increasing reflection of God. Now what that means is that in God's creation, He said all of this is good, all of this is what I desire, all of this is what I want. His intention, God's intention was that man would live forever in pleasure and communion with God and with His love. From the outset, from the very beginning, suffering, death, pain evil, none of those things were ever at any point God's plan, ever. Now some people I just mess with their theology. I just mess with this big construct they got in their mind how, how God is working. You know, he, he, he causes this thing to happen and this thing to happen. You know, the scripture says in Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What I will say this to, the, to you is this. Now, a lot of people say, well, no, when I went through my sickness or when I went through my pain and my suffering, you know, God used that to do this or that. I, I don't disagree with that a bit. I don't disagree with that a bit because God is a redeemer and God is a healer and He takes the worst situations and begins to work them for His good because He loves us so much. But I promise you, your pain and your sickness and your suffering were never God's original plan and intention for you. Never His original plan and intention. It was not His design. It was not His doing. Yes, He can cause you to turn toward Him in that. He can cause you to see His glory in that. He works those things together for ultimate good, but He never sent pain or suffering on any human being ever. It's not His nature. He can't do it. God is not evil, so He cannot bring evil upon any person. Now, this is difficult because, you know, you can begin to say these things and you say, well, so why then, Clay, is there evil, death, sin and suffering, why do I have to go through this if it was never God's intention? And this is a difficult situation, but the answer is love. You say, well, what in the world does that even mean, the answer is love? Love is risky. Anybody want to say amen to that? Even in your, even in your most basic relationships, when you, start to, when you get married, when you start dating somebody, you are risking something. You're putting yourself out there, At the, and look, here's what you know. Can, y- y'all ever tried to force somebody to love you? I did one time. Man, it's brutal. You can't do it, can you? You cannot force anybody to love you because here's the truth is that love ceases to be love as soon as somebody doesn't have a choice to do it. And in order, when God created us, God is love. So when He created us, He had to create us with free will because He is love. He designed it in such a way that we would always have a free choice to either love Him but also wrapped up in that as scary as it is and as risky as it is, God gave us in that right there the ability to say, no, I reject you, God. He gave us that ability. You say, well, that's just too risky. Why would he do that? Look at all the junk that's come in because of that. And you know why, it's, why he did it? Love. And that's the part that I don't understand, but here's what I do know is that at the end, because we had the free will choice in the midst of brokenness and in the midst of pain to receive God's gift to us in Christ and say, Lord, I see how much you love me in the midst of this pain, and I choose to worship you even when I don't understand. I love you even when I don't understand. And in eternity, that will resound throughout eternity. It'll be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen because you chose to love God because you saw His love for you. And so here's what love is risky, and guess what? In the middle of the garden, when God created them, enters the serpent. Now the serpent enters in. And he has already taken his his pass to reject God and rebel and be in pride. He's taken that pass and he has fallen from heaven like lightning, the scripture says. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. And he manifests himself in the form of a serpent. Now, here's, here's the point of the Bible. You say, well, I just don't know about a serpent talking to a man. The point is not whether or not there was a serpent in the garden. The point is what did the stinking serpent say? Don't read the Bible like a big literalist guru. You're not as smart as you think you are. I know that one cut a little bit. My bad. I'll, I'll calm back down. I'll calm back down man. So the serpent comes in and he lies and he blasphemes the character of God. In, 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 in Revelation 13, 6, he is the liar. The serpent is the deceiver, right? He comes in and the Scripture says that he opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name is Tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. One One of Satan's favorite things to do to you, especially as Christians, is to blaspheme the character of God. To convince you that the evil and the pain and the suffering that has happened in your life is not what the devil has done, but it's what God has done to you. Satan has caused evil in this world. He is the birthplace of all evil in this world and in humanity because we believed his lies. But yet when he causes evil and pain and suffering, you know who he blames it on? God. Because he wants to erode God's character in front of you so that you don't look to Jesus, but you make this concept of God that's more like Zeus than he's more like Jesus. Right? Right? And so he attributes evil and pain and suffering to God and he deceives people to do the same until, until finally we believe that all everything that's happening in the world is God's will being done. Let me say this emphatically. No. Everything that is happening in the world is not God's will being done. The Scripture says in Luke 11:2, 2, Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 12:2 says do not be conformed to this world or don't think like the world. Don't let the world press you its, into its mold. Don't let the world teach you how to think about God. But he says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, why? So that you can prove or demonstrate what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's saying you're going to have to renew your mind so you can demonstrate to a lost world just how good God is and what His will is really like. See, God's will, according to that prayer, is that heaven will come to earth. On the opposite end of that spectrum, Satan's will is that hell will come into the earth. Y'all with me right now? God's will is heaven invading earth. Satan's will is hell invading earth. And those things are in opposition to one another. And so here's the truth. Adam and Eve believed the lie concerning God's goodness. And when they believed it, as soon as they did, sin entered, shame entered, pain entered, sickness, and all of these things entered. And they forfeited their dominion and their authority over to Satan. And Satan has effectively laid claim to the world. You say, well, I don't know about that, Clay. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 4, it says the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Satan has tried to lay claim to this world and say that it is his own. Well, even when he tempted Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, do you have that verse? Luke chapter 4, verse 6, listen to what he said. And the devil said to Jesus, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Well, how in the world did it get delivered to him when Adam believed his lie and said, here you go? So, it was delivered to him. Now now listen to this. As soon as that sin entered in, not only did sin enter into humanity and we became hateful and violent and lustful and, and murderers and liars and all of these things, not only did it enter into humanity, but it infected creation. Everything was infected. Creation, the earth, the ground came up under a curse and the world itself was broken up. Tectonic plates shifted. Volcanoes formed. Bad things began to happen in the earth. What was supposed to be fruitful, God said, you're going to work hard to get it to produce anything anymore. Because the world now, along with you, is fallen. Just the same way that you're a marred image of God now, the earth is a marred image of heaven and it's broken down because sin and fallenness has entered. Now listen to this, because people will say, well, no, but God's doing all these things, God's doing all these things. Even in the book of Job, for example, if we look at the book of Job concerning creation, we notice that in the very first chapter, violence comes and all of His animals are killed and some of His servants are killed and all of these things are done. And then next, so we see, God, we see Satan at work in violence and humanity. But then it says that a fire came and consumed some of his animals. And his servant said it was a fire from heaven. Because every time somebody happens, every time anything happens, what do people do immediately? Well, God sent a fire from heaven. God sent a hurricane. God sent these things. Then it goes on even further and it says there was a great wind that came and destroyed the house. Right now we got a great wind coming down in Florida. And it's destroying homes. It's destroying all sorts of things. This great wind came and destroyed the home and killed his children. And to go even a step further, then all of a sudden, sickness enters in, right? And he gets these great boils all over his body and this sickness enters in. Now, all of Job's friends who are very wise and they know a lot about God, you know where they said it came from? God did this to you, Job. You know where the Bible says it came from? Satan. Y'all see that? How many things have we blamed on God when it was actually Satan that was at work? See, our faith is not in a God who brings evil and pain and suffering upon people. Our faith is in a God who has come to rescue His creation from sin, from the forces of evil, from pain and suffering, from sickness and disease. See, I'm comforted in knowing that when I see the death of a child, that I'm not looking at the face of God. I'm looking at the face of the enemy of God. I know y'all are struggling with that this morning. That's okay, I don't need to have any amens because this is a difficult subject. See, Jesus says, the Scripture says that the last enemy, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. And so, in the face of all these things that are going on, enters Jesus, right? Jesus comes into the scene. And in order to prove the fact that it was our responsibility to rule over the earth and we handed it over, and we handed over our authority, do you know that God didn't necessarily have to become man? Couldn't God just have stayed outside and healed the world from the outside? See, the problem is is that when He created the earth, He created in such a way that He made a covenant with Himself that He would let man rule over this thing. So in order to get our authority back, guess what he had to do? He had to become a man. Do you see that? If it had not been in our authority and in our rule in the first place, he could have fixed it from the outside. But in order to fix it, he had to become one of us to get back what we had lost. Man, that makes me want to run all over this stage right here. Because that is good news. Help me calm down, Lord. God became a man to get it back. Now remember, Jesus, just like we said in the beginning, He is God's image. He is God. Jesus is the will of God. Jesus is perfect theology and Jesus teaches us how God relates to sin, suffering, evil, and death. The scripture says in John 1 that no man has seen God at any time but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him to us. The, the disciples asked Jesus, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we, it will suffice us. He said, if you've been with me such a long time and you don't realize, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at me. How how do I deal with sin how do I deal with suffering how do I deal with pain so if we truly believe that then we understand why it says like for example in first John 3 8 you know what it says for this purpose the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil now I'm gonna argue to you that the works of the devil now here's what I'm, I'm gonna say this for example, in the storm, in the hurricane that's going on right now, I'm, I'm going to have to break this down a little bit, but, but I'm going to tell you that this storm is a work of the devil. And you're going to say, well, that's, I don't know about that, Clay. I don't know. I don't know. God's in control of things. I'll tell you why. And I'm not saying that he's literally in the storm or he's, he's causing the storm, but I'm saying what he did when we believed him and he got authority and this world became fallen, it set everything out of order. Everything was out of control. This is why our bodies break down. Somebody said, well, you know, Donald, he'd been sick here for about a year and a half. He must have missed God, you know, or something like that. That's ridiculous, okay? If you think like that, please change your thinking. God doesn't work like that. God doesn't bring sickness and suffering upon people. That's Satan's job. And so he says, "Now Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil. Not he went about healing all those who God made sick so he could end up glorifying himself. Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But do you notice how often we say, like for example, with even sickness, for example, we will say to ourselves, well, you know, maybe God brought this on me for a purpose, but then we'll go to the hospital to try to get healed from it. Well, if God brought it on you for the purpose, why in the world are you going to the hospital to get healed from it? This is, it's not logical. All of a sudden, a kingdom is divided against itself because God's making us sick and then Jesus is trying to heal us. It makes no logical sense. So Satan has infected people with... There are theologies that believe this junk. I, again, I need to calm back down. And get, <clears throat> I'm passionate about this, okay? Because I'm passionate about this because I believe that when we have a wrong view of God, it actually destroys our lives. When we don't see Jesus clearly, we actually live in turmoil. We live in hopelessness. We live in fear because we don't know what God might do to us. We don't know if God's going to hurt us tomorrow, or if He's going to bring something evil on us, or if something bad's going to happen. And then when it does happen, we just think, well, we just have to embrace this because this might be God's will. Y'all ever been in that situation? So, how does Jesus deal with sin? He forgives sin. He doesn't come to punish sin. He doesn't come to bring condemnation for for sinners. Matter of fact, when He comes, He shows up and He spends time with sinners. Donald said this yesterday, we ought to spend so much time with sinners that it hurts our reputation among religious people. Man, I about shouted when that happened. That was a good word there. You ever had religious people call you out because you spend time with sinners too much? Amen. Amen. They did the same thing to Jesus. See, He forgave sin, but listen, Jesus didn't overlook sin by no means. He died on the cross for sin. He didn't treat sin as a light thing. He said, no, sin is a big thing. Sin has destroyed humanity, it's destroyed this world, and it's continuing to destroy people, and that's why I'm going to the cross to bear the weight of your sin and the penalty of your sin." And you're going to see the ugliness and the pain of sin when you look at the cross and know that I died for every single bit of it, that you could be forgiven. That's how Jesus deals with sin. How does Jesus deal with suffering and sickness? He deals with suffering and sickness by healing it. That's how he deals with it. We look at that in the Bible. How does he deal with evil? he casts it out. Let's look at this in the Bible. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 13. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a, listen to this, a spirit of infirmity. Y'all know what spirit infirmity is, right? Sickness, it's disease. He called it a spirit of infirmity. This woman had been 18 years sick and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. So there's a spirit of infirmity in her body. Couldn't raise herself up. Next verse says, And he laid his hands on her, And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Right? Next verse. And then all these religious people come up to Jesus and say, Well, you think it's right for you to be healing on the Sabbath? It's just like religious people to to try to keep God from healing people. Lord, help me again. Jesus responds to the religious people, So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound, think of it, think of it, Satan has bound it. Well, here's what he didn't say. No, God brought this on this woman for 18 years to teach her a lesson so that ultimately then I could show up and heal her and I would be glorified in front of everybody. No, he said, this woman has been bound by Satan these 18 years. Is it not right for her to be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Who's doing the binding in our world? Who's causing the brokenness? You want to look for the devil? Just look where people are in pain and suffering and hopelessness. You don't need to wait for somebody to foam out the mouth. You just need to look for somebody who's in pain, somebody who's in fear. And Jesus says this is how he deals with pain and suffering. Matthew 8, chapter verse 16 and 17, here's what it says. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You know, there's not one place in the Bible where anybody sick, blind, anything, came to Jesus and he said, No, I can't heal you of this one because this one's from my Father. Not one time. Not one time. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, He himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. You say, well, how come it doesn't happen more then? I'll get into that at the end. So this is how Jesus deals with sickness and suffering now see when jesus showed up he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil now what what he was saying is look boys you've been living in a broken kingdom You've been living in the kingdom of darkness. Satan has been ruling this system of things. And I've come and I've showed up and I've brought the kingdom of heaven. This is the way it was supposed to have been. This is what it's supposed to look like. And that's why the sick were healed. The lepers were cleansed. Those who were oppressed of the devil were set free in a moment of time. He said, boys, this is how it's supposed to be. I've come back to set things right. I've come back to restore that which was lost. I've come back to heal that which was broken. And never, ever will you ever have the right to believe once again that the evil and the pain and the suffering that you've been through, no matter how long and how deep it is, was ever God's will for your life. And I know that challenges people because some people have already embraced the fact that that evil, that suffering I went through, God put that on me. And I'm just challenging you to say, listen, God did not bring that upon you He did use it. He can use it. He will use it. He has to use it. If He didn't use pain and suffering to heal a broken world and to give us insight about Him, where would we be? We'd be hopeless and lost. But it's because He's sovereign that in the midst of pain and suffering, that is not the result of God's doing, but the result of our own doing because we mishandled what God gave us and we unleashed sin, we unleashed death, we unleashed pain. And God, for a time, is allowing this to manifest itself, and it's, and it, and it's happening. But, but let, let, let's go on a little further. How does Jesus deal with death? Because we all know that death is terrible, and sometimes people will die even when they're young, and we say to ourselves, was this God's will? Or any kind of thing. like, or You know, we have, we have a lot of cliche statements that we make because we just don't understand certain things, and we say, well, it was just their time. I'm going to argue to you that None of us die in our time. We were made to live forever. We were made to live forever. Death is an enemy of God. Yes, every one of us that are sitting in here, we will die. Either that or be raptured. I don't know when that will happen. But death, the wages of sin is death. And we live in a fallen world, so we will experience death. But that does not mean it was God's plan. Does not mean when it was God's plan. So how does he deal with death? He conquers it. Jesus raises a young boy from the dead. He raises a young girl from dead, from the dead. And when he comes to Lazarus, he's been dead four days. And his sisters say, Lord, we know that he'll be raised again from the dead at the end. And he said, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. I've come to destroy death. He Himself was raised from the dead on the third day which gives us the abundance of hope that we have because we realize that death is now subject to us. Yes we may die and we will die if time permits but when we die we know that we ain't staying down long because one day we're going to hear the voice of Jesus that says arise my love and we're going to come back with a glorified body and we have that hope because Jesus Himself was raised from the dead and when He was raised from the dead you know it says that hundreds were raised from the dead and they went throughout the cities proclaiming what God had done because why he took the authority over death now listen I know I'm I'm gonna ease I'm gonna I'm gonna preach all the way through this y'all with me because I just I've had this on my heart so badly and I don't want anybody to leave here having a wrong view of this let's talk how does Jesus deal with storms This is one of the best ones because because we're okay when we say, well, yeah, we understand that Jesus deals with things that way, but, yeah, these storms, this is God's judgment. This is God's judgment on America. And I know some of y'all probably believe that, so don't get too mad at me. We can talk about it later. I've heard lots of people say it. Here's how Jesus deals with storms, though. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, Jesus says to his disciples, boys, let's get in this boat here and let's go over to the other side. So what's the will of God? What's the will of God? The will of God is that they're going to go to the other side, isn't it? Because God just said, we're going to go to the other side. Now they get in the boat and this big storm breaks out and it's filling up the boat and it's filling up the boat. Jesus is asleep on a pillow. They all start getting scared to death and they scream down at Jesus on the pillow and say, Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up and you know what he does to the storm? It says he rebukes the wind. He rebuked wind. As if to say, the way that wind is acting is not according to my design. Otherwise, why would he rebuke it? He rebuked the wind. He didn't say, well, that's my my father up there in that wind. He's causing that one, so just hold out, boys. (laughs) He rebuked the wind, and then he said to the sea, what? Be calm and there was a calm because he was saying listen fellas you don't understand this world this creation the sea everything's out of order it's broken up and i've come to set even creation in its proper order but then he says what's even crazy and i'm just going even crazier i'm going to leave this one to you he looks at him and then he says where is your faith where's your faith i've been sending you fellas out to heal the sick to cleanse the lepers to raise the dead, to cast out devils, and then all of a sudden you see a little storm and you think you don't have any power? I'll let you settle on that one because that's going to be a difficult one. And sometimes I think we can go into error in that, in, in, in that because I think we go around rebuking everything and telling, you know what I'm saying, and we need to be careful with that. But we need to be led by the Holy Spirit and know what's God's will and what's not not God's will. And we need to contend against those things that are not God's will and pray for those things that are God's will so that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray. We are the church. We need to believe God for these things. And then somebody says, so, so somebody asked this question, well, you know, isn't this these hurricanes and stuff, isn't this the judgment or the wrath of God on America? Or is this, are these hurricanes the wrath of God? You know, In Houston, somebody said they had a gay mayor, so that's why God said, listen, there are gay people everywhere. God didn't come to destroy them. He came to save them. He's going to bring judgment on somebody for that. Listen, judgment's not here yet. Luke 13, 1-5, listen to what he says in Luke 13, 1-5. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's what he's saying. You live in a fallen world, and good people and bad people alike are going to suffer calamity, they're going to suffer sickness, they're going to suffer death. Terrible things, catastrophic things are going to happen because you live in a fallen world that is now subject to evil and even chance. There are some things that happen just because this thing is out of control. It's neither God or the devil. This thing's just out of control. And he says, but don't think that, listen, this is God's work bringing judgment on them and killing them because they're worse sinners. He said, y'all are all sinners. Every last one of you. If God was going to judge people, he would have just done ready, thunderbolted the place and ended it. But Jesus has a different mentality. And he's saying, look, people are going to suffer But even, for example, even one time they come and they preach the gospel to some Samaritans and the Samaritans don't receive Jesus. And his disciples say, Lord, they they rejected you. Let's call fire down out of heaven on them like Elijah did. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of because the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. God does not come to destroy men's lives, men's homes, men's anything. He comes to save people. Now, sometimes I do believe that the destruction of certain things, God does allow us to see what's really important in life. I do think that He does use those things for good, but I do not think that He causes them because He is a God of life. See, so some people say, well, no, well, Clay, tell me about the wrath of God. What about God's wrath? I think the best way for us to describe God's wrath, you know, Jesus, He gets up and He stands up and He reads out of Isaiah 61 at the beginning of His ministry. And He reads out of Isaiah 61, He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captives free and those that are bound by Satan to let them loose. And then He says, To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Scripture says, And He closes the book. But if you read Isaiah 61, the very next verse that he should have read says, The day of the vengeance of our God. He closed the book on the vengeance of God. Why? Because he's saying, we're entering into a new covenant, into a new season, in which I've paid the penalty for sin. And therefore, there is a time of grace whereby all men are being drawn to myself. And I'm drawing all men to myself in love. And I'm not punishing men for their sins right now. They have an opportunity to either accept me or reject me. And during this time, there is no vengeance of God right now. We live in a fallen, broken world. That's what we're seeing. And he's saying, but right now, God is not pouring out his wrath. Here's what the wrath of God is right now in your life. even Jesus said for those who reject him the wrath of God abides on them right that's what it says the wrath of God is divine consent to self-destruction the wrath of God is the fact that Jesus draws you to himself calls upon you but you reject him and say no I'm not ready Lord I don't want to walk with you and you choose to walk out in your sin and so you know what God does he allows you to do that And it's his wrath when he lifts his hand off you and says, go ahead. I give you over to your choices. I give you over to what you're choosing. And the wrath of God abides upon you. Not because God is saying, I'm matter and fire, I'm going to punish you. It's because you've rejected the one who has desired to love you. God is not wrath, God is love. His wrath flows from his love. And oftentimes he will allow you to go away from him so that you finally say to yourself, this is not right. I'm not supposed to feel like this. I'm not supposed to live like this. I'm not supposed to be doing like this. And then so you start to say in panic, where's God? What do I need to do? What do I? And you come back to God. And you know what? When, he, when you turn back, he doesn't say, I'm mad. I'm mad. You should have come the first time. No, it's the parable of the prodigal son. He sees you a far way off turning back to him and he has no wrath. He runs after you, chases you down, falls on your neck, kisses you, gives you a ring, a robe, and a new pair of shoes and says, let's throw a party because you came home. That is the Father's heart. That is the Father's heart. That is who Jesus came to reveal. And then you say, well, what of all the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the tornadoes? Then tell me a little bit more about that. Now listen, in Romans chapter 8, you know what what the Scripture says. Let's read some of those verses, Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He's saying, what you're suffering right now, it's not worthy to be compared with what God's going to end up showing you. Then he says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Let me tell you this, the earth underneath your feet is groaning and crying out saying, I want the sons of God to be revealed. The world around us, people right now in drug houses this morning that woke up hungover, on the inside of them they're groaning, I wish the sons of God would be revealed. I wish the children of God would come in here and share with me the kingdom of heaven. All of creation is groaning right now. You see it every day. You just have to look around. The creation is groaning. They're languishing because they want to see the sons of God. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. You have to believe you are though. Next verse says, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Next verse Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What God is saying is, listen, for a time this world is subject to its fallenness because God cannot break His covenant with Himself. But He's saying there is coming a day when even this earth and the storms that are in it and everything that's broken, it will be delivered from its bondage of corruption. Your body, even in your body, some of you, my dad talks about it all the time. He said, this is getting old, it's rough. It was never supposed to be that way. And do you know that my dad, because he believes in Jesus Christ and follows Him, one day he will be released from the bondage of corruption and he'll have a glorified body. He'll never have achy knees again. Nothing will be broken down. Everything will be fixed and set in order. God is allowing for just a moment. See, all of this is, in these last days, all of this is manifesting more and more and more. And left to ourselves, you know what we would end up doing? You know what would happen to humanity and creation? It would be totally destroyed. That's why you see movies all the time about this apocalypse and the end of the world. If we were left to ourselves, that is exactly what would happen. But praise God, we're not left to ourselves. And He is coming back. And he's bringing redemption. Now, Luke 21, verse 25 through 28. I know I've went a long time, but listen, this is not an easy subject. So y'all are going to hang out with me, ain't you? Just take a deep breath and say, Lord, give me about five more minutes. Give me about five more minutes. Let me stay focused, Lord. Let me stay focused. Y'all good with me? All right. And there will be signs in the sun. We saw one recently. He's talking about, they asked him, they said, Lord, what's going to be the signs of the last days when you're getting ready to come back? When you're going to come back? He says, though be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, listen to this, the sea and the waves roaring. Right now we see it on the news, the sea and the waves are roaring like crazy. Next verse, men's hearts are failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then he says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So listen, what he's saying, when when we, when we look at hurricanes and we look at earthquakes and we see all of these things and we see violence and wars and rumors of wars, God is saying they're signs. He's saying they're signs, right? The next verse says, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your what draws? Your redemption draws near. Not my punishment draws near, not my wrath draws near, your redemption draws near. This earth is getting ready to be healed. Your bodies are getting ready to be healed. You're getting ready to be restored to your loved ones. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Not fear is drawing nigh. Not hate is drawing nigh. Not wrath of God is drawing. Your redemption is drawing near. And so he's saying these are signs. When you see all of these things happening, don't look at these things as God is sending these things because he's upset. No, what he's saying is this earth is out of control and humanity is out of control in its sin and it's reaching its climax. It's reaching its breaking point. I didn't send these things. I didn't cause these things to happen. It's out of control. And he says, I'm coming back. But listen, you say, well, why did not he come back sooner? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. The reason he's waiting is because he needs the church to preach the gospel throughout all the world so that all can hear, so that all can have a chance to repent before the end does come. But he's saying, you better hurry up, because don't you see that the world is out of control? I need to come and heal it, but you all got to preach my gospel. You got to let people know that I'm coming back. And the only reason I haven't yet is because I'm long-suffering and I don't want anyone to perish. Man, that's good preaching. Lord, children. Luke 21, go down to the next verse there. Listen here. So then he says, in light of that, take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. You know what carousing is? It's just kind of living like nothing's really going on. I got another hundred years to live. We're going to see what we can do with it. I, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, life's tough, but what are you going to do? Go work, eat, sleep, drink, cuss, you know, stuff like that. And then carousing. And then he says people get caught up in drunkenness, and they get caught up in the cares of this life. That third one may be more than anything. You just get caught up in the cares of this life, and even when hurricanes come, you don't even pay attention. You don't even think about God. You don't even think about what's going on in the world. And he says, And that day comes on you unexpectedly. Next verse. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And then Jesus says this Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. And that, will, and that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. See, this is what he's saying. These are signs that we begin to realize that Jesus has to come back soon. And then, so here's what I want to say, though. Is, is because Jesus is coming back soon, does that give us the right to just have this escapist mentality and say, well, he's going to be back soon anyway. I ain't got nothing to worry about. I'm going to lay back and wait. No. Jesus said when he comes back, he wants to find his servants feeding their household. He wants to find those occupying till He's come. And what you don't understand is that the church has been given the greatest responsibility in all the world. Jesus said "Jesus said when He was raised from the dead, He said, all authority has been restored to me in heaven and on earth. And then He says, you go therefore. Preach the gospel in all the world. Make disciples of every nation. John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father sent me... And and how he sent me to deal with sin and suffering and sickness and death and all of these things. He said, now I send you. We are the body of Christ given the responsibility to carry out Jesus' work in the earth. That's why when the apostles started, you know what they did? They went and preached the gospel. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. Amen. They were continuing His work. And Satan has crept in and got us to believe that somehow God's out there. We're down here and we're just trying to make it through. You've got the Spirit of the living God on the inside of you. The kingdom of heaven is on the inside of you. And you've been called to release that in the earth. See, the Scripture says that God, Jesus called the church and He said to to Peter, He said to the church, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell are set up all over this earth. And he's saying you need to advance against those gates. And if you choose to advance, you will take those gates down. But here, And this is where our prayer is essential. The reason we pray, the reason we fast, the reason we worship is because we are participating in the life of Jesus Christ and we are continuing His work. And listen, we're going to pray for sick people and some of them are going to die. But ultimately all people are going to be healed. We're going to pray for people to be delivered and sometimes they're going to struggle. I don't have the answers to why we don't see everything happen when, 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 we, when we pray. But here's what I know is that we are contending for the kingdom of heaven to invade this earth. And we are praying and we are seeking God and we are called to pray and seek God to see these things begin to change in our world. Our prayer, listen, there's a lot of things we can't change, but there's a whole lot we can And you better believe that your prayer is important to God, that you are in participation with God, you're in cooperation with God. There's a lot of things that God's will wants to be done on earth, but it's not going to happen unless the church prays and seeks God. Every single healing and deliverance and salvation is only partial and fragmentary right now. But we are a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. And when you go to your workplace, when you're in church here on Sunday, you know what we ought to see? We ought to see a foretaste of heaven breaking through. We ought to see souls being saved. We ought to see sick bodies getting healed. We ought to see the dead being raised from time to time. say, well, that's just too much, Clay. You need to renew your mind. You need to renew your mind. God has more for us than religion that America has made religion or the entire world has made religion. You have the power of God. You have the life of Christ. He showed up and did these things and religious people rejected it. Not true Christian people. Not true Christian people. I know I'm passionate about this, and I am passionate about this, maybe more than anything Ever. but listen we're going to suffer loss we're going to suffer from questions bad things are still going to happen but we must continue to seek him in faith never compromising with evil or sickness or pain or suffering in the world it is not God's work and we've come to destroy the works of the devil that is our calling God is allowing for a time for the mystery of sin and iniquity to run its course but let me tell you something about this people are suffering but let me tell you something I promise you Jesus is suffering with them He died on the cross to reveal that. That I know about your suffering. I know about your pain. I know about your loss. I've come to heal that. And I know for a time you may go through some difficult things. But I will comfort you. I will heal you. I will restore you. I will protect you. And listen, even in this hurricane, for example, people people have asked me, well, where is God in that? Let me tell you something. God is not seen in the destruction and the wind and God is not seen in the pain and the loss and the suffering and the little girls that are crying he's not seen in that God is seen in the people that will be there to comfort those people to love those people to heal those people, to bring restoration. God is seen still in those who are called to reflect His image. And if you believe in Jesus, He's called you to reflect His image in a broken and a dying and a sick world. And when there's darkness, when there's wickedness, when there's pain, that's not God. But you've been called to reveal the heart and the love of God in those situations. Judgment is coming. We will see, everybody will stand before God and judgment will come and it will be righteous and it will be holy and it will be right. I would hate to imagine a world in which the rapists of this world and those who are in the sex slave trade industry and all sorts of evil not be judged for what they've done, wouldn't you? It would be messed up if God just let them off the hook. But what you have to understand is everybody has a choice. Everybody can either choose for the fact that Jesus took my punishment Or I'm going to have to bear the weight of my own punishment. I don't know about you, but Jesus has taken my punishment. And see, ultimately, because we believe that, what happens, John says it in Revelation 21, 1-5. I'm finishing right here. You guys can come to the music. See, God in the end will not simply... He won't take the little girls who have been tormented in their life and He won't on the last day come to them and reveal to them This is why I made all this happen to you. This is why I caused all of this to happen to you. Because I was trying to work it out to build my kingdom. This was necessary for you to experience so that I will build my kingdom. No, God's not going to say that. He's going to take that little girl. He's going to wipe every tear away from her eye. He's going to heal every pain that she's ever had. And He's going to say, now you get to live forever in the way that I designed you to live. I know you've suffered but I've come to wipe every tear away. And then he says to her, the same thing he's going to say to all of us, behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. This is what John saw. John said, finally, boys, I looked and I saw the end of it. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And see, this is where we have our hope. We as Christians, we don't get caught up in this world. We're going to lose things in this world. We're going to experience pain in this world. But God says, you can't take this stuff with you anyway. Don't get caught up in this world. Yes, God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to experience His love. But when you suffer in this world, hold on to it loosely. There's another age coming. John said, I looked and behold, there was a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And God was with his people dwelling among his people. And he wiped every tear away from their eye and sin and sorrow and suffering and death. It fled away because there was no more room for it there anymore. This is God's design. And Jesus has come to save us from all of those things. And this is who we are. And if we believe that, then we believe that with with the time that we have left, we have a responsibility. We have such a responsibility. This is the message. And I'm telling you, God has given us a mandate to preach this gospel. To heal the brokenhearted. To heal the sick. And like I said, yeah, we're not going to see it happen every time. But let me tell you something. We contend for it. We pray, we fast, we call upon God because he's given us the authority and if we're not walking in that authority, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why, God, am I not walking in the authority that you purchased me to have so that I could demonstrate your kingdom here on earth? Stand to your feet with me. I know this has been the longest sermon that anybody's ever preached in the history of time, but did you get something out of this this morning? Now bow your heads just for a moment. I want you all to consider, I'm going to do this a little bit differently this morning. I want you all to just consider what it is that you, what you need. What is it that you have said in your heart, God has done this and I just need to learn how to embrace it. Let me tell you something, you need to step into your authority and say, no, I'm not living in this anymore. God, I'm believing you for something different. Think about Jesus. Think about the woman that walked into the temple that day been sick 18 years. She'd been sick 18 years, and she walked up to Jesus, and Jesus immediately spoke to her, and she was made whole. Let me ask you something. How many in here would admit, I've I've had a misconception about God and about what's going on in my life, and I need to change my mind right now about this thing? Will you raise your hand? Anybody? I just want to pray for that this morning. I'm going to pray, and after I get done praying, like I said, you know what, you're free to leave at any time. But I want us to at least be able to respond to this message. And if you need prayer for something, if you need prayer for for healing, if you need prayer for anything in your life, if you're going through pain and suffering, let me tell you something. Jesus wants to come to comfort you, to heal your wounded heart. He knows about the pain. He knows about the suffering. And I want you to receive that. But let me ask this question while everybody's got their head bowed. If you're in here and you say, look, I've not really given my life to Jesus. I've not believed in him. I've not chosen to follow him yet. And I just know this morning that that's what I need to do. I need to to be saved. I need to put my faith in Christ. I need to begin to follow him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now and let me know? Right now, just raise your hand and let me know. I got you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody that just says, I need to to do it today. I need to give my life to Jesus. All right. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that right now, Holy Spirit, God, I I just entrust you to take this word and to plant it so deeply in our hearts to rearrange the way we see you, Jesus, to rearrange the way that we think about you, God that we could truly move beyond just the, the religion that we've been lied to about and how we've seen you, God, and even how we've lived our lives as the church. And I pray this morning, God, that you would baptize people in your spirit and in your fire and in your holy passion to bring about the kingdom of heaven here in our midst and in the earth. And God, here's what we know, God. We know that it's, it's already, but it's not yet. It's breaking in, but it's not here yet. The church isn't the kingdom, but we're the gate of the kingdom. We're revealing the kingdom. And so, God, just begin to let your kingdom break in among us, God. Into the pain, into the brokenness, into the disease, into the sickness, into the addiction. Let your kingdom break in right now, God, in Jesus' name. Open your hands up to the Lord. I want you to receive it. If you need it, receive it right now. Father, we receive your kingdom and your spirit to bring healing and deliverance and freedom right now in Jesus' name. God, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, God, to draw us near to you, God, to change us right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.